no matter what kind of suffering you experience in life, God is always leading you in triumph in Christ. So no matter what kind of suffering and pain that you are experiencing right now in your life, Jesus is leading you in triumph in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians. That's the book. That's Paul's life. That's ministry. That's actually the normal Christian life right there. Suffering is not all of the Christian life, but it is part of it. And so the normal Christian life involves suffering and heartache and weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities, all while being led in triumph in Christ. You need to understand that about discipleship. You need to understand that about following Jesus or you will be uh, unnecessarily disappointed. God often leads us through suffering and loss so that we will experience gain, so that we will be transformed, and so that others will experience gain through what we lose. And so suffering is actually the leading edge of gospel ministry. That's important to understand. The leading edge of gospel ministry is trial after trial after trial after trial. It's where the Spirit of God is often at work. Now, we don't like that, but we should get used to it because this is often how and where the Holy Spirit works. As we suffer, we spread the knowledge of Him. We don't just spread the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the gospel through tweets and status updates on social media. We often spread the knowledge of God. We often spread the gospel through what we suffer. And that's what Paul is getting at in our passage today. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he often goes on tangents in his letter. Have you in his letters? Have you noticed that ever? Sometimes Paul, in the original Greek, has this really, really, really long-winded single sentence that spans several verses and makes up an entire paragraph. Like in Ephesians chapter one, he does this. And sometimes Paul goes on a tangent. And never comes back to his idea until later on. Or sometimes Paul goes on a tangent and never comes back to the point that he was making earlier at all. He does that in Romans 3 when he mentions the advantage that the Jews had. He mentions one advantage and then he never gets around to mentioning advantage number two. He goes on a tangent. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course. And Paul will go on another tangent in our passage today, but he won't get back on track until chapter 7. So it takes Paul five chapters of tangent, five chapters of rabbit trail to get back on track with his thought here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But Paul's tangent is full of so much glorious gospel truths that I'm okay with all of the extra stuff that Paul adds in between chapter 2 and chapter 7 when he finally gets back on track and finishes the point he's making. I'm okay with it. 
A lot of the gospel that I preach in my own heart happens between chapter 2 and chapter 7 in 2 Corinthians. So thank you, Paul, for giving us all of this extra stuff. All right, so turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12. But I want you to put your finger or a bookmark at chapter 7, verse 5, because we're going to connect those, the tangents. I mean, we're going to connect where Paul has broken off and come back to his point. So we're going to read chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 7, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 7, verse 5. You ready? Here we go. Look at verse 12 and hear the word of the Lord. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So Paul is letting the Corinthian church know that what ministry was like during his time in Asia. Paul and company were exhausted, dog-tired. There, there was constant affliction that they were experiencing. Every time they turned the corner, affliction and suffering was waiting on them. And there was a bunch of fighting and a bunch of drama in the camp and disagreements and people couldn't see eye to eye. And there were differences of opinion and they were all fearful I mean, Paul, the strong apostle, as we often picture him, says he was full of fear. Ministry in this season of life was very difficult for Paul. And so he told the Corinthians all of this back in chapter 1, verse 8, if you remember, where he said that life and ministry was so difficult that he actually despaired of life. Paul was suffering so much during this time that he just wanted to die. He just wanted to go be with Jesus. He was so burdened, was sapped of strength, that he felt like he just couldn't go on one more day. He wanted to quit. He wanted to die. And that's what he's describing here in verses 12 through 13 in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He was overwhelmed. There was all of this suffering, drama, pain, heartache. And on top of all this, he had written this tear-filled letter to this church that he had planted a few years before in Corinth. And he was pretty strong in his rebuke of them. And he had sent his co-worker Titus to carry this letter to Corinth to deliver it to them. And Paul was anxious to hear from Titus how they had responded to his letter. In fact, It was all that Paul could think about. It was consuming his mind. Paul says in verses 12 and 13 here that God had opened this door of ministry for him in Troas, but he couldn't focus. There was all of this turmoil in his spirit. His heart was not at rest. He couldn't find his friend Titus. 
He wanted an update on the church, but he couldn't find Titus. And so his heart was like this hurricane of emotions. And so he left this new ministry opportunity, this open door in Troas. He left it behind and got on a bus to Macedonia to try to find his friend Titus. Understand this, Grace. Ministry doors may open even when you're dying on the inside. We sometimes are called to minister to people when our hearts are breaking. We often minister from a place of suffering and sorrow. But Paul was in so much pain, so much unrest, that he couldn't minister. The Lord opened a door for him, but he couldn't focus. All he could think about was the church in Corinth and how they reacted to his letter. He had this great new ministry opportunity Obviously, God was at work in his life. Exciting things were happening, but Paul's spirit was not at rest. And so he left and took a train to Macedonia looking for Titus. But why? Why does the Lord open this door for him? Why does the Lord open this door knowing that Paul is so burdened and he's about to skip down? Well, you should know this about God too, or you will be unnecessarily disappointed as a disciple. God's ways will frequently baffle you. God's ways often make us scratch our heads, right? Sometimes it's really hard to see, really hard to understand what God is doing, what he is up to in our lives. Sometimes Jesus will just plain leave you baffled. Sometimes God's direction for history and what he decrees for his people, his eternal decrees, are not something that we would enthusiastically welcome with open arms like 2020. Sometimes God's direction for history and what he decrees for his world and for his people are not something that we would enthusiastically receive with welcome arms, open arms, but still we are called to live faithfully in what God is allowing to happen. We may not get what God is up to, but we're still called to serve him even if what he's up to makes us scratch our heads. But whatever God decrees and allows in this world, we always have to remember that it comes from a good hand. He's not sick. He's not twisted getting a kick out of watching us squirm. Everything that God has decreed in eternity past comes from a good hand. It comes from the good hand of of a God who is wise and holy and righteous and trustworthy. As Chad Van Dixhorn says, we may forget this sometimes when we complain about our smaller problems or forget to praise God for our smaller blessings. But the fact remains that all things are under God's control. All things are under God's direction. All things are in God's hands. 
but this world would bring little comfort to God's people if we ever cease to remember that these are good hands. We can trust him and know that he is right. So we don't know why God opened this door for Paul only to see Paul skip town and go looking for his friend Titus. But we do know that God is good even when we're confused. Listen, if you're not frequently baffled by God, you might not be living, okay? If you're not frequently baffled and confused at what God is doing in your life, you might not be living or aware. God often does weird stuff that we can't explain, We often don't have categories for the things that he allows to happen, but that doesn't mean that we can't serve him faithfully or praise him or trust him. He is worthy of all of our worship, worthy of all of our trust, even when we're confused, even when our hearts are at unrest. Listen, when God leads you in triumph through pain and suffering and you're confused and you don't like it, worship Him. Give thanks. Worship has a way of recalibrating our hearts. Worship has a way of lifting burdens. As Ralph Davis said, Often adoring God will lift more of your burdens than understanding your burdens. In other words, worshiping God will lift your burdens, not necessarily enable you to understand them, to understand why things are happening the way they're happening in your life. Paul didn't really understand why he was experiencing all of this suffering and why there's this open door and yet his heart is at at, at unrest and he can't focus He didn't really understand. He didn't know why he had so many ministry burdens. But understanding all of the whys. Why, God? Why? Understanding all of the whys will not lift your burdens at all. It's as we worship Jesus in the middle of the burdens that our burdens then get lifted. Let me repeat that. It's as we worship Jesus in the middle of the burdens that our burdens get lifted. You might need to tuck that away for a day when you are bombarded with sorrow and suffering because it's probably coming. It's on its way. Understanding why all of the things that are happening in your life are happening will not lift your burdens. If God explains everything to you, why he's doing what he's doing, that will not lift your burdens. But worship will. Thanksgiving will. And that's exactly what Paul does next. Look at verse 14. But thanks be to God. Let's stop there. We just need to slow down and hover over these five words. Let's, let's just focus on those five words. Because those five words just might keep you from going crazy when life gets overwhelming. Those five words are worth putting on a post-it note and sticking it to your bathroom mirror so that you can see it all the time. But thanks be to God. 
some of the most heart-stabilizing words in Scripture. And they have the power to pull you out of a pity party. And they have the power to pull you out of a conversation that's oozing with grumbling and complaining. And they have the power to pull you out of cynicism. And they have the power to give you a grateful heart. Those five simple words have the power to do all of that. But thanks be to God. And the word here, thanks, that Paul uses in verse 14, it's the Greek word charis, which is the Greek word for grace. It's the word grace. Grace. Sometimes this word charis is translated as favor. And sometimes it's translated as power, and sometimes it's translated as thanks, depending on the context. So it doesn't have just one definition, it depends on the context. It's either favor or power or thanks. Here, it's translated as thanks. This word charis is actually where we get our word eucharist for the Lord's Supper. It means we give thanks. When we celebrate communion, we are giving thanks to God that he sent his son Jesus Christ to live and die for sinners like us. When we celebrate the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it, we are giving thanks that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're giving thanks to God that he forgives us. And so Paul says, but thanks be to God. And he says that here because Paul loves this little phrase. He uses it six times in the New Testament. Romans 6.17, Romans 7.25, 1 Corinthians 15.57, and then three times here in 2 Corinthians. Here in verse 14, then in chapter 8, verse 16, and then in chapter five, or 9, verse 15. Paul loves this little phrase. He uses it three times in 2 Corinthians, but thanks be to God. We would do well to imitate Paul here. Listen, sometimes you have to stop and interrupt yourself, interrupt your grumbling, interrupt your complaining, interrupt your worrying, interrupt your stressing, interrupt your anxiety, interrupt your anger, interrupt your cynicism, interrupt your bitterness, and just say, But thanks be to God. Even though all of this pain and drama was going on and affecting Paul's heart as he recounts it to the Corinthians, even though the weight of ministry was almost too much to bear for him, he stops himself and says in verse 14, But thanks be to God. That means there will be plenty of times in your life when you will have to stop and say, But thanks be to God. There will be times in your life when life and ministry becomes too much to handle and you are going to have to be disciplined enough to stop and say, but thanks be to God so that you can recalibrate your heart. You'll have to stop and give thanks for blessings in your life Instead of just focusing on all the negative, all the suffering, all the pain, the mumbling, the grumbling, and just stopping and saying, 
taking an inventory, looking around and taking an inventory in your life and say, thanks be to God for this, for this. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for that. Turn your grumbling into thanksgiving by rehearsing the gospel and remembering all that Jesus is for you. Look to Jesus and look to the cross and give thanks and be overwhelmed. Listen, I was overwhelmed, just overwhelmed this morning praying. I didn't have any words to say. I was just so overwhelmed. I know like the, the servant in that story Jesus tells who has his debt wiped. He's just grateful. And all I could do this morning to God was just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for removing the debt. Thank you for canceling the debt, for forgiving my sin. Thank you for rescuing me. I was in prison in sin. I was dead. I was in the grave. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sometimes you just have to stop and say, thank you, Jesus. They're simple words, Jesus, but I mean them from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for this blessing in my life and this one and this one and this one and this one. When you are suffering, at some point, you have to stop talking about it. Stop talking about the suffering and begin talking about Jesus. Stop and talk about who he is and what he has done for you and what he can do. You have to insert Jesus, wedge Jesus into the conversations that you are having, into the thoughts that you are thinking. You have to recalibrate your heart. You cannot obsess over your situation, obsess over your suffering without connecting it to Jesus or it will kill you. Let me repeat that. You cannot obsess over your situation, whatever situation you find yourself in that's causing your spirit to be experience this unrest. You cannot obsess over whatever it is you're suffering without connecting it to Jesus or it will kill you. It will suck the life out of your soul. I, I know from personal experience you have to stop periodically when you're suffering and get your theological bearings. You cannot obsess over politics. You cannot obsess over where our country is headed without connecting it to Jesus. Or, listen, it will kill you. It will eat away at you. You'll lose your focus. And you just might lose your mind. And you'll definitely lose your awe and wonder. That God is good and sovereign. You have to stop and thank God and get your theological bearings again. So do this. The next time you are overwhelmed with life and your heart is breaking. The pain is deep and it hurts. Stop and give thanks to God for his blessings in your life. Thank him for stuff. Stop the conversation that you're having and saying, you know what guys? What can we thank God for right now? Where do we see his goodness to us in our life? Doing that just might keep you from going crazy. And it might make you a more enjoyable person to be around. And I think we could all use that right now. And it just might get you through the rest of this crazy year. And here's one reason why you can give thanks to God 
Because no matter what kind of suffering you experience in life, God is always leading you in triumph in Christ. Even though life and ministry is hard, God is always leading us in triumph in Christ. Paul believed that. Later on in chapter 6, verse 10, he'll say, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. No matter what we experience and suffer, we can still rejoice. So look at verse 14 again. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. The imagery that Paul has in mind here when he says that God always leads us in triumph in Christ is one of a Roman general returning home from the battlefield victorious. Back then, in those days, they would send a messenger ahead of time announcing the army's victory over their enemies, and they would plan this big welcoming party, a celebration. They would have a a parade, and they would burn incense in the street and celebrate their victory over their enemies. And the general would ride into town, and the streets would be filled with people. And he would be surrounded by his soldiers, and they would be towing their captive enemies behind them. And so this big party brought life and joy to the citizens, but sadness and fear to the captives. The prisoners knew they were on their way to their death, but it meant life for the citizens. The aroma of the incense filling the air in the parade was a sweet smell to the citizens, but for the prisoners of war it meant death. It was not a sweet smell to them, it was death. And so Paul uses this imagery here to say that as believers, God is always leading us in triumph. Our flesh and the devil try to tell us that this is not true, but we are the victors in this scenario because of our King Jesus who's leading us. The devil is the prisoner here in this gospel parade. The gospel is the smell of death to the devil. He is defeated. He hates the gospel when he hears it, when he sees it, when he smells it. It's like nails on a chalkboard to him because he's defeated. In fact, Paul uses this very phrase about triumph in Colossians 2.15. He says, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. The devil is the defeated one. And Jesus is leading us in His victory parade. So Paul says God is always leading us in triumph in this gospel parade, and he says we spread the knowledge of God everywhere we go. And so even if Paul missed an open door to ministry because he took a train to Macedonia to find his friend Titus, God is still spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God wherever Paul goes. He doesn't walk through that open door, but God's still going to spread the knowledge of the gospel wherever Paul goes. We are, as Paul says in verse 15, the aroma of Christ to God. Wow. I mean, think about that. We, the spectacularly unfaithful sinners that we are, 
We are the aroma of Christ to God. Because we are in union with Jesus. Now our lives are a sweet fragrance to God. Jesus' sacrifice was a sweet-smelling fragrance to God, Paul says in Ephesians 5.2. And so, too, our lives are a sweet-smelling fragrance because we are in union with Him. And so, take that, devil. I'm in union with Christ. And my life is now a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. Which means that God isn't disgusted with us. He rejoices over us. We are pleasing to him because of his son Jesus. We are now a part of his family, adopted children, and we make him smile all because of his son Jesus. So we're being led by our king, our older brother Jesus, through the city streets. It's a gospel parade. There's gospel incense burning that brings joy to some and death to others. Joy to Christians and death to unbelievers. The gospel to some is this sweet-smelling fragrance. To others, to unbelievers, to those who are apart from Christ, who are rebels, who refuse to bow their knee to our King, to them, the gospel, the good news is the smell of decomposed flesh. It's death. It's like a dead body that's been in a field for weeks. Unbelievers don't like the smell of the gospel because they don't want to bend their knee. They don't want to repent. But to Christians, this is everything to us. But no matter what is happening in our lives, Paul says that God always leads us in triumph. Always, 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 always. You might want to just write that word on a post-it note and stick it on your bathroom mirror so that you can be reminded. That regardless of what we see, regardless of what is going on in our lives, regardless of what's going on in our country, regardless of what's going on in our church, God is always leading us in triumph in Christ. Always. And that word always is true no matter what you feel. Christian, God is always leading you in triumph even if you don't feel it. You have to preach this to your own heart or you may drown in your pain and sorrow. What is God doing in 2020 during COVID? The answer to that question is right there in verse 14. He's leading the church. He's leading his people in triumphal procession. Always. Listen, if all you do is focus on the negativity in the world and in politics and COVID and how terrible 2020 is, then you're missing the party, bro. There's a gospel parade going on. We're celebrating the victory of King Jesus. There's a gospel celebration underway in the streets. Gospel incense is burning. And you can choose to obsess over all the negativity or you can join the party. See the gospel confetti flying in the air. Get it in your hair. Hear the gospel band playing. Smell the gospel incense in the air. And be reminded that King Jesus is victorious. He saved us and we didn't deserve it. And if Paul were here, he would put his arm around you and tell you, 
I know 2020 has been pretty rough, but no matter what kind of suffering you experience in life, God is always leading you in triumph in Christ, bro. God is always spreading his gospel fragrance through us, even though we are weak, even though we are frail, even though our bodies have no rest, even though there's fighting and drama without and fears within. He's always leading us. That word always, always trumps our circumstances. Always. God always leads weak sinners in triumph. And that's why Paul says what he says in the last half of verse 16 and 17. So look in the middle of verse 16. We'll pick up where we left off. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Who is sufficient for these things, Paul asks. Who can do this? Who can spread this gospel fragrance when your heart is hurting? Who can spread this fragrance when you're experiencing what feels like a death in your life? Who can spread this fragrance when you can't sleep? Who can minister and love others when life is too much? When your heart is breaking and when you know what a big sinner and a big failure you are. Who can do this? Who can survive and do ministry when your soul is worn out? Paul says only those who are weak, only those who are sincere, real, honest about who they are, only those who collapse on Jesus, which is everything opposite of what the super apostles, those false teachers who had invaded the church in Corinth, It's exactly the opposite of everything they were telling the Corinthians. The super apostles were pushing this triumphant version of Christianity that was built on self and built on the human ego designed to get you to glorify yourself. But Paul shows us where our strength lies. He says in verse 14 that God leads us in Christ. And then in verse 17, he says that we speak in Christ. Circle those two phrases in your Bible. They bookend this paragraph. This is union with Christ language. We speak and we spread the gospel from his identity, from our identity in him, not from our ego, not from our giftings. We don't do ministry for us and for our reputation and for our glory, contra the super apostles. The super apostles would congratulate themselves on ministry success. They would retweet themselves. Someone would say, thanks for that. And the, the super apostles would retweet the thanks that someone had said to them because they wanted the attention. They were inflating their own egos. They wanted the glory. But Paul says we should stutter and wonder here that God uses weak, frail vessels who are just barely hanging on to spread the knowledge of Him, this infinitely glorious God. And so understand this, Grace. To build a platform in ministry is antithetical to the gospel. To build a platform in ministry where we get glory is antithetical to the gospel. It goes against the Bible. We're not out to be the biggest, brightest church in town. Sorry if I just burst your bubble. We're not. 
We're not out to be the biggest church in town. We're not out to be the brightest church, the coolest church in town. We're just here to point the finger to Jesus. If we grow, we grow. If we reduce, we reduce. The whole time, all we're going to be doing is pointing our finger at Jesus. Some pastors, though they may not build a platform for themselves nationally, they want it in their own town. That's the super apostles. Paul just kept plugging along day in, day out. He wasn't a big deal. Paul was not impressive. They'll talk about it. He'll talk about it in his letters. He's not that great of a preacher. Paul does not have a book deal with Crossway. He says, I'm not peddling God's word and using it and using ministry for my own glory, for what I can get out of it. Some pastors use ministry for their own glory, to feel loved by others, to feel needed by others. They're in it for what they can get out of it or to feel that they are so important. And so they peddle the word of God. But Paul was weak, frail, empty, needy, and yet he kept spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God. He says, we're sincere, not fake. I mean, he's real, genuine, commissioned by God, he says, in the sight of God, speaking in Christ. In other words, it was all about Jesus, not Paul. And that's a ministry that makes Jesus smile. Jesus smiles when pastors, when people, when churches genuinely cry out, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to do ministry in a broken, fallen world with broken, failing bodies? Who is sufficient? Not us, but God is. He leads us in triumph, weak as we are. God loves using weak people to spread the knowledge of him. I hope that encourages you today. I hope that gives you hope. God loves using weak people who, who just say to him, I can't do it. I'm not qualified. I can't. I'm too weak. I'm too dumb. I'm a sinner. I can't do this. Jesus is like, I want that guy on my team. But Jesus, there's a person over here who's very qualified and gifted. And man, everybody loves them. I, I don't want that guy. I want the guy who's weak. I want the girl who's weak, who says they have nothing. I want the person who says he doesn't want the job, and I'm going to put them on my team. Ralph Davis said, God's tendency is to make our total inability his starting point. Indeed, our utter incapacity is often the prop he delights to use for his next act. When his people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then he loves to stretch forth his hand from heaven. Once we see where God often begins, we will understand how we may be encouraged. If you feel insufficient for ministry, be encouraged today. That's who Jesus picks to be on his team. And so go spread his love today. Go tell people that Jesus loves them. Call them to repentance. Tell them they need to bow their knee to your king. Spread the gospel incense far and wide. And remember what Paul would say to you today. 
no matter what kind of suffering you experience in life, God is always leading you in triumph in Christ. Doesn't that make you want to give thanks to God? When God leads you in triumph through pain and suffering and you're confused and you don't like it, worship Him. Give thanks. Worship has a way of recalibrating heavy hearts. Worship has a way of lifting our burdens. So let's do some burden lifting now. What do you say? Let's give thanks to God and worship Him. Ed Clowney, uh, an Old Testament prof who's with Jesus now, he used to say this, preach so that people will worship. I like that. Man, (laughs) that's a burden. Hey, pastor, preach so that people will worship. That's what I try to do every week. And I hope I did that today. But if I didn't preach in such a way that makes you want to worship, he's worthy anyway, right? Is he worthy? He is. So let's pray, and then we'll praise him. Jesus, you are worthy. Even if I didn't preach a sermon that makes people want to worship and praise you, you are worthy. And I'm sure... I didn't paint as clear of a picture of you as I could. In fact, I could preach thousands of sermons, Jesus, and never capture your beauty and your glory and all that you are. But you've made the gospel simple enough that dumb sinners like us can get it. You've brought it down from the top shelf and made it so easy and accessible. You've thrown us, you've lobbed us a soft pitch, and we thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us through your life and death, resurrection and ascension. We await your triumphant return. You're leading us through the city streets now, Lord. Give us steel spines and soft hearts to call people to repentance. Help us to encourage our brothers and sisters with the gospel. May the sweet fragrance that emanates from our weak lives through your spirit, may it bring encouragement to others. And then may you, Jesus, get all glory here in this church. We just want to point our finger to you and say, it's all about that guy. May you be honored. And may our joy in you increase. In your name we pray. Amen.